Welcome to the Addison Street Community Church Podcast. Our mission is to be a community of believers proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ through worship, discipleship, and service. Our prayer is that you're transformed by the word of God in the following message. And we trust that you're using this podcast as a supplement to your participation in the life of a gospel church near you. Let's now hear what God has for us. When I was in Turkey a few months back, actually on my last day of being in Turkey, I went down to down the street to a little bodega, even though that's the, what they don't call them in Turkey, uh, a corner store, got some snacks and treats for the, uh, for the next leg of my journey. And I noticed as I was going out to pay with my translator in tow, um, cigarettes in the background, and obviously that's nothing uh, new anywhere, but the cigarettes had a special packaging. And I noticed that the cigarette packets had pictures of uh, grotesque pictures, people with rotted teeth, um, lungs that were diseased, um, all kinds of pictures on these small packets. I was almost tempted to buy one, not because I'm into smoking, but just for, uh, just for the illustration. And that's what is legal there. If you're going to sell cigarettes in Turkey or even other places of the world, uh, you have to put a big warning on the package. Uh, we do here in America, but it's really small print, right? There, it's like right in your face. It's meant to discourage would-be smokers, really, from ruining their health. I mean, no one can say that you'll die from smoking for lack of an appropriate warning from Turkish cigarettes, okay? But what's a more important question for us to consider today is not necessarily um, the state of our health, but how can you avoid ruining your soul? That's why I want to preach a sermon today from the book of Proverbs on how to avoid hell. We're going to be in Proverbs chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 20 to 33. Proverbs chapter 1, verses 20 to 23. Uh, before I read, let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we confess that we are often swept up in even good things and great songs and well-ordered worship, um, and our minds and our emotions could even be somewhere else. And we confess to you our need for wisdom. Uh, and we often so quickly ask for it, even rotely, benignly, not even thinking sometimes. And we ask, Lord, that, that today in this time of hearing your word, that you would, by your spirit, indeed, impart that. Lord, for who else do we go to for wisdom other than you? Lord, I pray for those who might be fooled into thinking they are wise or uh, that they have achieved uh, true wisdom. I pray that even now that your spirit would begin to humble and to draw them to he who is true wisdom. Oh, help me, Lord, to proclaim clearly and compellingly for the sake of your son, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. After the direct parental warning that we saw last week in chapter 1, verses 8 through 19, we're not going to review that or read that, where the parent 
is encouraging um, their child to resist the overtures of foolish companions. It's here in verses 20 to 33 where, if I can put it to you this way, you know, Sammy or Susie, kid from the house, has gone out on their own and is living life on their own. And this is the attempt of a parent, in a, in a sense, to say, when you go out on your own, there's going to be all kinds of voices vying for your attention, competing for your emotions. There's one voice that you need to pay attention to. And this is the one that parents prepare their children to hear from the noise of all the commercials in life that will bombard him. Only one is worth listening to. Let's read from Proverbs 1, verses 20 to 33. Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. Because I have called and you refuse to listen. I've stretched out my hand and no one has heeded. Because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof. I will also laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you, when terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you. Then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. This is the word of the Lord. I believe this sermon, or the sermon in a sentence through these oh, 14 verses, is simply this is that wisdom offers the way out of hell. Wisdom offers the way out of hell. Primarily, this message comes to the tune of the female voice or the person who I'm going to call and is often referred to as Lady Wisdom. Lady Wisdom in our text today, I think I'm going to show you or attempt to show you, she has five behaviors that I think we need to pay attention to. Five behaviors, and uh, the first one is that Lady Wisdom calls in verses 20 to 21. Wisdom cries out in the street. In the markets, she raises her voice. And then the next verse, she cries out and she speaks. Now, who is this? Is this a, is this a real person? Is this, uh, what is this? And who is this? Uh, if I can say it this way, is, is that wisdom here is presented as complementarian. And I'll explain that in a second. Here, wisdom is symbolized, or we can even say personified, in a woman. All right, and this is a wise woman. Proverbs will later show you a foolish woman. 
But here is the voice of wisdom, and it's personified and symbolized in this graceful, strong woman called Wisdom. This is an introduction to her because she's going to come back around later on in the book of Proverbs, in Proverbs chapters 8 through 9, and you have a much longer speech there from her. But she is the symbol of wisdom, and her voice is the voice to listen to. What I mean by being complementarian is that wisdom, as as spelled out in Proverbs, as introduced in Proverbs, comes throughout the history of the Bible, in the history of humanity. It comes and meets its fever pitch in a man. And that man is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the embodiment of wisdom itself. Hear what the Apostle Paul said about this. And because of him, that's God the Father, you, Corinthian church, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God. Jesus Christ is the embodiment of wisdom. If the ancient poet is Lady Wisdom and she's crying out, it comes and meets the ultimate voice and embodiment of wisdom in Jesus Christ. That's why I'm saying here that I would say it's complementarian. You have the lady portrayed as attracting and calling and wooing and giving overtures to come to me. And then it is met in the person of Jesus Christ. Later in the book of Colossians, the apostle Paul says, if you want to grow up spiritually, If you listen to the words that we write to you, Colossian Church, he says this, that Christ is the one in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So past Jesus Christ, there is no further wisdom. There is not another person. So the the voice, the metaphorical voice, the symbolic voice in Proverbs is like an echo of the Christ who we see in living flesh in the Gospels. Well, if that's not enough to convince you, hear what the prophet Isaiah had to say. In Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 3, the prophet says, There shall come forth forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. That means this person is a human. And a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. So the fear of the Lord isn't merely just the property or the buzz phrase of the book of Proverbs. It is saying here that it is this one who has the spirit of counsel and wisdom. He is the one who will delight and shall be in the fear of the Lord. So this coming human, this descendant of Jesse, which is King David, the long descendant of King David, will have the spirit, perfect wisdom, perfect understanding and counsel. He, he will exist. He will be the one to perfectly fear God. So Jesus is the one who is ultimately calling. So our text says that they call, she calls with a loud voice. She cries aloud, raises her voice. At the head of noisy streets, she cries out. 
And she speaks at the city gates. So this isn't someone just like, you know, if you, if you go downtown, there are all kinds of people trying to, you know, tell you about stuff. And they, they put a bill in front of you, right? Come to this party, check out this concert, look at this product. Um, they, they may not be um, broadcasting and, and speaking over the traffic and the noise of Michigan Avenue or State Street or wherever it may be. But this voice, this person, this crying with a loud voice from a visible from visible and prominent places. In other words, she is the master marketer. If you want to get attention, what do you do? You go where the people are at. So she goes to the commercial center. She goes to city centers. She goes downtown. If you come from a t- smaller part of the, of the U.S., she's at, in the town squares. She goes to the places of influence. That's where that, that last phrase, the, the city gates, is where legal decisions were made. The elders of the community were there. It's the, the seat of government in a sense. So the point being is that she is visible. She's loud, and not loud in an obnoxious way. And this wisdom exists for both men and women. So though it is symbolized in a woman and it is embodied in a person, it's complementarian. I would also say, and and bear with my my language here because I'm trying to steal it back for a good purpose, wisdom is also egalitarian, meaning that it's for both men and women equally. This is not just a, a woman's call to stupid kids, to boys, or Jesus's call to some Rejected women of society. So this is the call of God to men, children, and women everywhere of all times. There's nothing less than the free offer of the gospel. Good news. You can't turn a blind eye or a deaf ear for lack of her visibility or her lack of volume. Lady Wisdom calls. So there's a lot of voices out there that are competing for your attention. They're competing for your affections. But what makes her worth listening to? So with the second behavior we see in verses 22 to 23, we see lady wisdom appeals. Now you say calls, appeals, it's the same thing. Well, bear with me. Here she goes. We see her where she's at. We hear her voice. Now we hear her message. It is a message of appeal. How long, oh, simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will you scoffers delight? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? Lady Wisdom here is appealing. In verse 22, she's appealing to their needy condition. And the, the target audience is that first line. You simple ones, will you love simplicity? The fact is, is they love who they are and what they're doing. They actually don't have really a clue. They don't have a clue that they're clueless. They don't, they, they don't have a clue that they're simple. In fact, they, they love it. They, they love how life is going. And I'll just say this right here, that it is not good to not know what you don't know. And that's what she's saying. She's pointing out here. She's saying, you guys don't know what you don't know. And that's a, not a good position to be in, but that's the good news. 
So pay attention to this lady in the town squares at the gates of the city. Listen. And it says here, how long you simple will you love simplicity? And it says scoffers and, and fools. So there's three, there are three kind of terms for, that are negative for a person's character. The first one, simple, or maybe your translation might say something like simpleton. But it really means someone who is young, who's naive, or gullible. They lack experience. The reason why you're like this is because you just haven't lived long enough. Or maybe you have lived long enough, but you don't have a knowledge that matches the biological age. You get what I'm saying? These kind of people, here, here's, see if you see yourself in this. Or maybe maybe you don't want to see yourself. Maybe you see some this in someone else. I certainly see this in myself sometimes. These are people who they love ease. Okay? These are people who love themselves. These are people who love just what's right in front of them. The temporary. They can't conceive of a month, a year, or two years. They just love the temporary. What's happening now, today, in front of me. These are people who love control. They want their way. They don't really know how to give and take and compromise or even to surrender. These are people who just love being the center of attention. Has that description fit you somehow? That's the description of somebody who is simple in some ways. There's that you still a youthfulness that's not spoken of highly, a naivete and a gullibility that speaks to your lack of experience in life. And it says here, how long will you love simplicity? The fact is, is that these kinds of people, they nurse a love for being careless. That's what this is. Careless, carefree. I'm not saying that you, you walk around in a dour mood, always seeing that the whole world is, the whole, the world is on, you know, you're carrying it. The burden of the world is on your shoulders. That's not what this is saying. It's not implying that you should somehow take more on you uh, from other people. No. But this is somebody who's just carefree, who's actually careless. Often people who are carefree become careless. These are the kinds of people that say, life can't be better than this because it's about themselves, their story, their universe, their control, their ease, themselves. The word scoffer is another term for mockers. These are people who might know a thing or two. They've heard the knowledge, but they just poke fun at it. They, they, they won't necessarily reject God or, uh, or the existence of God per se, they may even be religious, but these are people who might mock at it. I'm not talking about people who just make jokes all the time. It could be somebody who's really serious, who just likes to jab at Christianity, at truth, at God. And then in, a, in addressing the simple ones, how long will fools hate knowledge? These kinds of fools are often the extreme. These are the ones who are too smart, perhaps. They bow at the shrine of rationality. And they think, for instance, fools are the type of people, biblically speaking, don't quote me, quote God. These are the kind of people who regularly think or say that science and faith are incompatible. 
They are compatible. But that human rationality somehow trumps the simplicity, being a simpleton, being a, a religious person. Pity you if you hold to some kind of theism. And, you know, friends, as you read the book of Proverbs, it's hard sometimes to tell the different species of fools, whether you're reading the book of Proverbs or whether you're reading your own culture and your own life and the people around you. It's sometimes hard to detect the species of fools apart because the base elements that they swim in are the same. In the sea of foolishness, you have the sharks that are true fools outright. They know it. They see themselves above. There are, in the sea of fools, there are mockers. In the sea of fools, there are goldfish. Simple, small, easy prey, inexperienced in such vicious waters. But Lady Wisdom warns against the progressive hardening that starts often when somebody is young. You come into this world as a baby, you come into this world as simple. And what the, what, the, what, the, what the wisdom writer here, what Lady Wisdom is saying is, if you just let this wisdom, or if you let this kind of simpleness keep going, it will actually progress into a kind of hardening. And, the, and she is calling out to you. She's like, listen to me. Don't, simple ones, get, let yourself get to the point where you're mocking everything, when you're doubting everything, when everything is just, a joke, religiously speaking. See, our, this is our natural inclination. So in a sense, you have to see your face in the crowd here. If you listen to words like this and say, I think this would be good for that person or that person or this person in my past, without really pointing the finger back at yourself in some capacity, you are actually demonstrating. You are actually proving the point of this passage. Because really, truly wise people will never say, oh, I'm wise. Truly wise people, I think, will acknowledge that there are gaps in their knowledge, that there are spots in their maturity, and gaps in their growth. Are you that person? So Lady Wisdom appeals on their needy condition, but she also appeals to the benefits of actually humbling themselves, verse 23, if you turn at my reproof, okay? This is turning. In the New Testament, this would be the word repentance. So you're going one way, you hear her voice, and you turn, I'm going with her. And the, the word here for reproof is a reprimand, a rebuke. If you turn at that, she's not just trying to say, hey, Junior, come here, I've got some candy for you. Just an innocent appeal. No, she's like, I want you to come here because you know what? You're wrong. You got some things that aren't quite rightly aligned in your life. You need me. Come here. I'm going to show you. So turn at my reproof, if you turn at my reproof. That's the condition. You actually have to be willing to turn. You actually have to be willing to repent. This is not just a one-time thing. This is an often time thing. This is a lifestyle. Repentance is actually the lifestyle of wise people. She says here, it's such an interesting phrase, if, if you turn at my reproof, 
Behold, I will pour out my spirit to you, on you. Almost sounds like something in the the prophets or in the New Testament about God pouring out his spirit at at a time in history or on a repentant people. The idea of pouring out here, you know what this means? I mean, we think like, oh yeah, pour a glass out. This is the idea of something gushing. If you turn at my reproof, I will gush on you. For people who were living in the ancient Near East, when they had to go through seasons of famine, this would bring up the picture of a little creek that was dry. And that would, with the right rain, it would start to not just fill up, but it would just overflow. It's this bubbling brook idea. You will, I will gush on you, my spirit. I will make my words known to you. Proverbs 18.4 says, the fountain of wisdom is a bubbling brook. The place of wisdom, it, it, there's always some place to drink. There's always something. You don't have to go far. For it's, right, it's found right in the very words of God, in the word of God himself, in the Logos, in Jesus Christ. That is the promise. So, the message is, turn. I'm going to gush on you. I'm going to make known things to you that you don't even know. You don't know what you don't know, but I'm going to change that. I'm going to change that if you turn. Friends, so we're not talking mere theory here. This ancient, womanly, wise person, let's just put it down to this, that submission to Lady Wisdom is submission to God himself. Because this points to chapters 8 and 9, and then throughout the rest of the Old Testament, you get this roller coaster of experiences of people who are not wise, and it kind of screams of the need of, hey, we need somebody wiser than all these kings and prophets and priests that we've had, all the populations of Israel. We need somebody wise. We need somebody who who is this, who embodies this, and that is Jesus Christ. So to submit to Jesus Christ is to listen to his voice and come and turn to him, which leads to the third behavior, verses 24 to 27. Here, I will say that her behavior here is that Lady Wisdom vindicates. Lady Wisdom vindicates. She says here, because I have called and you refuse to listen, I have actually stretched out my hand and no one was heeding because you've ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof. In a sense, Lady Wisdom is vindicating herself here in these two verses by incriminating the simpletons for not responding to her overtures. She's saying, this isn't a joke. I, 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 I called, I stretched out my hands. I'm not gonna force you, but the offer is there. It's the free offer of wisdom, but you didn't. It says you would, ha- you would have none. Look down at verse 30. We haven't gotten there yet. Verse 30 has the exact same phrase. And would you know it? That this is the exact same phrase in the ancient language in verse 10 of the previous my son, when sinners entice you, don't consent. That is, I stretched out my hand, but you did not consent. So she's vindicating herself by incriminating them for not responding. It's not like you didn't know about this, guys. She's also vindicating herself by ridiculing them in their catastrophic, uh, catastrophic state. Now, this may not seem very nice as you read verses 26 in 27, you know, because of this, because of this, because you ignored, because you would not have my reproof, verse 26, 
I will also laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm, it's like she intensifies it. When terror strikes you, when your calamity comes like a whirlwind, and when distress and anguish come upon you, it's like, is, is, is a storm ever organized? No, you get beaten, thrown. It's almost like a, a, like a hurricane. It disorganizes, it discombobulates everything. And that's what she's saying, that to, to reject me is to actually ask for a totally discombobulated life. You're asking for it. Don't do it. When terror strikes, if you don't give much thought to the path and to the end of your life, you won't be complacent for long. Because the complacency and the apathy of simple people who, who, yeah, sometimes I think about what's going to happen to me when I die, or you know, I hope that the scales of my life are good and they outweigh the bad. I, I hope, but I don't give much thought past that. If that, is how, if that is how you are, the Bible says you're complacent. You're apathetic. And that, ap- that apathy, that complacency will be turned to terror. Look at it. This is not my word. When terror, I will mock when terror strikes you, when terror strikes you like a storm, you will not be indefinitely forever complacent. Or can we call it neutral? You can't just be like pro-God. Yeah, I believe there's a God. No, I believe that there's, there's a judgment at the end that, you know, or you say, I believe the universe will repay us or things like that. Like you generally believe in a higher power. But that's, that's about all the thought you give to it. That, that, that is a kind of foolishness that is complacent and that will not stay like that forever. The, the end of complacency is terror. That is what you have to look forward to for not paying much attention to the state of your soul. Now, you might read these words and you think, oh, that's not nice. How can a, such a sweet lady, you know, be so mean? She's going to laugh. She's going to mock. That doesn't sound too Christian. That, that's all right. You know, play with me here. But friends, this isn't the kind of ridicule that we think of. When we ridicule, we often, we attack a person. We make fun of a person. Often easy to do when they're not like us or when they've somehow stumbled, or whatever it is. It is not the kind of ridicule or mockery of attacking a person per se, but it is the kind of mockery and the laughter that proves something that is laughable. Yahweh's response to the plotting of kings and nations against his son, Psalm chapter 2, verse 4, just hear this. This is God. It's not Lady Wisdom, okay? In a sense, Yahweh's response to kings who are trying to plot is this. He who sits in the heaven laughs. Same word. The Lord holds them in derision. Now, it might seem, friends, like our world is falling apart. It might seem like the World Economic Forum is, you know, piecing together our next existence and that everything's going to be going downhill for us that the nations are raging. I mean, everything looks bad. But you know what God is doing? He's, he's, he's biding his time. He's got, you know, that, 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 that kind of laughter of somebody that's like a, a, low, gro- a low growl, <laughs> you know, just 
Maybe your parents did that to you as you spouted off foolish things and, you know, they just like, oh, yeah, yeah, okay. That's what God's doing to kings, nations. That's what Lady Wisdom does, will do to people who, after many attempts, reject her. And it's like God is saying, pardon the French, it's like God is saying, how's that working out for you? That's going to be the end of your indefinite putting off of God, of true wisdom. Now, I'm going to, I'm going to be a little specific here. There's a lot of confusion in our world today, and there's a lot of changing of what it means to be a person, what it means to have a body, to be bodied, to be sexed, to be gendered. All right, there's a lot of confusion about that that is both sad and laughable. Please do not hear me. We do not mock those who are inebriated in this kind of worldview, where that you can just change your sexuality on a dime when you feel like that you can change your body. All right, we don't make fun of those people. We, We pity with the heart of God, but pity does not mean capitulation. We don't, this is not going to sound good. It's not going to sound like smart lady wisdom. We don't actually have to be sympathetic to the point of tolerance. I think we have to be empathetic of what it means to be a sinner. That were it not for the grace of God, I, I would do similar things to my body. I would think, I would go to those extremes. So that makes us not be the kind of mockers of people, souls, but as I think of how, you know, you know, how do we live in this, in the, can we, can we call it the transgender moment is just like a blanket phrase for everything that's going wrong with our personhood? How do we live in this, this moment? And it, it just feels like, it, it's laughable. And please do not hear me. I know this gets recorded, so you can send it to wherever you want. I'm not, it's, it's not that we're laughing at that, but this is the kind This is the kind of laugh that wisdom has. It's the last laugh, and it's a spine-chilling laugh. The catastrophe here is a double-edged sword. It can mean that there could be immediate consequences in this life for ignoring God's wisdom. This doesn't mean it's only future. What it does mean is that sometimes you will bear the marks of uh, the consequences of things you do now in this life. You'll learn your lessons now. So it's a double-edged sword in that it could be consequences here, but it could be consequences for a life of ignoring God's wisdom. Either way you slice it, there are repercussions for scoffing at God's truth or delaying it. Listen to what Jesus himself said in Luke 7.35. He said, wisdom is justified by her children. Let me slow that down and interpret. Wisdom... God's ways, is justified, vindicated, proven right by her children. Children being the followers of John the Baptist in that context and of Jesus. Wisdom, the very person in the ways of God, is going to be justified, is going to be vindicated. You don't have to do this. Wisdom, the wisdom of God will justify itself. 
But what could be worse? What could be the worst possible outcome of ignoring wisdom's overtures? So she turns the heat up in verses 28 to 31, where we see her fourth behavior, where Lady Wisdom is silent. Verse 28 says, Then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me. Though this wisdom is freely offered to all, it isn't offered indefinitely. And I want you to hear, look at, look at the Bible. Note the ominous contrast between verse 24 and 28. In verse 24, wisdom is calling. They refuse to listen. Verse 28, they're calling, and wisdom is silent. That should be deafening. That should be completely terrifying. Wisdom is freely offered, but it's not indefinitely offered. There's an expiration date on the free offer of wisdom, on the free offer of the gospel. In verses 29 and 30, she shows that their apathy is the reason she goes silent. It's, a, it's too little, too late. Because they hated knowledge. That's that phrase is coming back up again. From before, and they did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would have none of my counsel, and they despised all my reproof. The idea there of them diligently seeking uh, for wisdom, if I can come back to that, when it's too late, here's the idea. The idea of seeking diligently is the exact, is where, where in the Hebrew Bible they get the idea of waking up early to get going and seize the day. You know, when you get up early, if you're a morning person, I don't even believe in that, but you're, you know, you got your energy, you get up early because you know you can be the first in line to something or you're going to have the best energy. You get up early to do something because that's when you feel you can be most diligent. And that is the, that is the attempt of the foolish person here. They're like, after all this time, I'm going to finally wake up early. I'm going to get at it. I'm going to knock. And I'm not going to get a response. I'm going to seek, but you will not find. The door will not be opened. It's too little, too late. You despise my reproof. Here the idea is they failed to appreciate the reprimand. Wise people accept reproof, Proverbs says. Fools despise wisdom and reproof. Show me somebody who consistently gets offended by somebody telling what's wrong. Even if it's not said in the best way, show me somebody who's always self-defensive and we're probably dealing with somebody who is foolish. And I'll say, man, that sounds like me sometimes. Shoe fits. The ultimate result of their late and fruitless pursuit of wisdom is that they reap what they sow. Look at verse 31. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. Again, this should be really ominous. This should be really scary. You come too late to pursue wisdom, you're actually going to come and get a helping of everything that you did before. You will reap what you sow. This reminds me of, of the text we studied in Bible 
uh, in our Bible study on Wednesday about the wilderness generation. The spies came back from the land. Two of them said, let's go, let's get it. The other 10 said, no, man, it's scary. Let's not, let's not go there. They went with the majority. They don't go. God says, okay, all of you, all of you who said it's too scary, we're not going. Okay, you're not going. I'm gonna give it to Joshua and Caleb and their descendants. Oh, 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 okay. Uh, oh, well, well, we'll, no, it's too late. Even in the stories of the Bible, you have pictures. You have pictures and stories showing you that if you continue that kind of behavior in 2023, it's not going to go well for you. You are going to forfeit something. You're going to forfeit blessing. One of the great pastors of the past, Charles Bridges, he said this. He said, prayer, which was once omnipotent, will then be powerless. Think about that the very tool that we use to talk to God will be stripped of its power. The heavens will turn to brass. Just because God is omniscient, omnipresent, all-knowing does not mean that he, is, he will always listen to your prayers. So friends, whether you heard the good news of Jesus once and refused it, or you heard it a hundred times and rejected it every time, the door will be shut don't wait till it's too late to receive all that wisdom is and how it will benefit you. We're not talking about philosophical wisdom. We are talking about wisdom incarnate in Jesus. That's what the wisdom of the Old Testament is pointing to. Don't reject Jesus. Don't turn your back. Don't say, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll wait till I'm a little older. Let me get to this point in my career or reach these goals. Then I'm going to pay attention to wisdom. Friend, by the time you get there, you will have proven to yourself that you are wise in your own eyes and that you can get places by yourself without God's wisdom, and you will have, you have calcified yourself in your own foolishness. Don't wait till it's too late. She's going to go silent. And it will be terrible. So what's the wrap on this urgent speech? How, how, how does she conclude? Lady Wisdom concludes her urgent appeal, her impassioned appeal. In verses 32, with some predictions. That's the fifth behavior. Lady Wisdom predicts. Verse 32, she predicts the fate of the simple. For the simple are killed by their turning away. And the complacency of fools destroys them. Killed, destroyed, and go back up to those verses in 26 where you, hear, where you see calamity, terror, storm, whirlwind, distress, all of those metaphors for catastrophe. She boils it down to this. Your foolishness, your obstinacy, your stubbornness, it's going to kill you. And if I could put it in another word, even though we don't have the word for hell here, like shale and, um, or Gehenna type, you know, like flames. The inevitable end of a foolish life of putting off wisdom is nothing less than hell. It is a hell in and of itself. So when you ask people, do you believe in a hell? Yeah, I believe in a hell on earth. Well, there is a kind of a measure of truth to that in the sense of what we see going on in our world and in ourselves and our homes and our institutions, of course, sure. But that's not... Anything compared to the hell of fire, 
to eternal conscious torment. And once again, the wisdom here is prefigured, pointing to Christ. And the destruction here is also prefigured. It's in a nutshell, pointing to ultimate self-destruction. I want to ask you this. What happens, what do you think happens to us when we die? Now, some of you might be thinking, well, this is kind of obvious, sort of elementary, but hang with me here. Or, or, or listen to me as somebody, uh, as with words that maybe you could go out and try this on, on somebody else. I don't know. But what do you think happens to us when we die? Now, some people, they'll, like I mentioned earlier, they hold to an afterlife. Like, okay, there's, if there's a higher power, then that probably means that there's something after death, okay? But to those of you who believe that physical mortality is all there is to look forward to, I want to challenge you to test your own worldview. I want to ask you, if you think that annihilation or that dying is it, you die, you die, that's it. I'm going to ask you, what if you're wrong? What, what if you're wrong? I mean, what if I'm wrong? But what if you're wrong? Then that ultimately means that you're not ready for what comes afterward if you think that all you get is to be put six feet under or an urn full of ashes. Friends, I'm going to push against the worldview that many non-Christians and even, unfortunately, some Christians embrace when it comes to the afterlife called annihilationism. And I think this is an appropriate place to sort of touch this nerve. Annihilation, meaning that when I die, I die. That's it. Nothing happens after that. And here's what I want to say. I think based on scripture that annihilation is the most logically acceptable conclusion to people or societies that have depersonalized God. If God is just, yeah, he's out there, but if he's not personal, if your God is deist at best, then annihilation makes complete sense. Because why have a relationship with some higher power that has been distant all your life and all of your existence? So if you are a Christian who claims annihilationism as your worldview for after, for, for, for the, the plight of the unsaved, especially, I'm not saying the, the Christians, I, I think you're royally wrong. It's a depersonalized view of God and of his justice. So she predicts the fate of the simple, verse 32, but she also predicts the fortune of her followers. Whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. Oh, this feels like what Isaiah said when he said in Isaiah 32, my people will abide in a peaceful habitation, in secure dwellings, and in quiet Resting places. Proverbs 9, again, Lady Wisdom in Proverbs 9 says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And she says this, for by me, your days will be multiplied and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. Basically, it pays to listen to her. It's for your benefit. Friends, Beloved, this is a matter of life and death. It's why sometimes when you come to our church or come to a church like this, that the, the, the moment of preaching often feels so urgent and so impassioned. 
I can't afford to mess with you. I can't afford to to tinker with your soul and give you some therapeutic tips to make your life better. Wisdom offers the only way out of hell. And you know what? I am speaking to a crowd here and an audience, every one of whom needs a way out of hell. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Don't take my word for it. Listen to the voice and the call of Lady Wisdom. For Christ's sake, let's pray. Oh, Father, I pray that anything that I said that could have been distracting and sidetracked anybody here, that it would be quickly forgotten. But Lord, I pray in so much as your spirit is behind uh, the preparation in a talk like this, that, that you would preach and continue to preach a better message than I ever could have, Lord. Oh, may the, the voice of Lady Wisdom ring in our hearts. Oh, may it, may it be attractive. Oh, forgive us for the hardness of our hearts, our stupidity at times rejecting everything that is in Christ, who is the treasure of wisdom and knowledge. Oh, may we love him more. As a result of hearing this word, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Addison Street Community Church Podcast. We hope you are encouraged by God's word. And for more information about joining us for a worship service or taking your next steps with us, please visit ASCCChicago.org.